Hey everybody, welcome back to Explain Like I'm Five, the podcast where we take the questions you always wanted to ask and talk about them in a way that's easy to understand. I am your host, Tim, and for this special Christmas episode of ELI5, we have a special guest host joining us, Brian Earl. Now, Brian is the host of the Christmas Past podcast, and if you want to learn more about this topic, I highly recommend you check out his show. Hey Tim, thanks for having me on. So Brian, why don't we start with this age-old question? Why do people in America say Merry Christmas while people in the UK say Happy Christmas? When did this change or split come about? It appeared around the Victorian period. The people back then also said Merry Christmas, but a couple things were going on around that time. Uh, Christmas before the Victorian period had fallen into what you might call a bit of disrepair. It was still celebrated, but nowhere near at the level it is now. And the way that it was celebrated was a lot more like the way we celebrate St. Patrick's Day or Mardi Gras or New Year's Eve. It was this kind of carnival-like celebration outside in the streets rather than something that families celebrate in the home. The common phrase, and by common I mean sort of low class, was to say Merry Christmas. The word merry was associated with maybe a bit of um, oversaturated with sentimentality and ha- had also connotations of the kind of raucous partying that uh, the Christmas season had had gone on to take. When the Victorians decided to quote unquote rebrand Christmas, they wanted to domesticate it, make it something that families celebrate in the home the way that we nowadays celebrate things like Easter. And when all that was happening, they wanted to do away with the word merry. And this was also around the time where the media were really starting to come into their own and you could propagate messages uh, more easily. So one thing that happened was King George V, when he started doing his Christmas radio addresses, he would say, Happy Christmas. And that really caught on where Christmas was coming into its own around America. And we were still kind of feeling things out. We were taking a cue from the Victorians, but also making Christmas uniquely our own. And so we kept Merry Christmas while it was still dying out over there. And nowadays you find that it's a little bit of both over in England. Uh, They say happy more than merry, but they still do say merry to some extent, whereas we say it exclusively. Another common question we get from our listeners is, where do the red and green colors that we often associate with Christmas, where do they come from? There are a couple different ways to answer that question. So first of all, a lot of the things that we associate with Christmas actually predate Christmas. And one of the first signs of Christmas being associated with red and green is from the much, much older tradition of decorating homes with uh, evergreen foliage during the winter. There have always been wintertime celebrations because older civilizations were based largely around agriculture. And a couple things happen when the, the fall comes. You have your harvest. You have to thin out your herds because it's too expensive to feed them over the winter. And you've just finished your winemaking or beer making season. And it's too cold to work. So you have this period where you have nothing to do. You have a lot of time to hang out with your friends and you have lots of food and drink and all of that. And so wintertime celebrations go back a long, long time. So decorating the home with evergreens could become associated with things like trying to uh, ward off evil spirits, trying to ensure a good harvest for the next year and so forth. But holly was considered an especially important plant because any plants that didn't lose their leaves during the fall or, or during the winter were assumed to have some kind of something special about them holly, mistletoe, and the like were given special import. And to some extent, they were also believed to have maybe healing properties or or things along those lines. 
However, as you move forward throughout the history of Christmas, red and green were not the only game in town. Especially pre-Victorian, you'd see blue and gold. You'd even see older images of Santa Claus where he was wearing either black or blue or green robes. So while holly and evergreen uh, foliage may have been one of the first instances of red and green associated with Christmas, it kind of came back in the early 20th century. And again, this is where the media and corporations that have a lot of money to sort of push their own version or image of, of Christmas come into play. So starting in the early 1930s, you see companies like Coca-Cola which are putting out lots of images of Christmas to associate their brand with the, the, the shopping season. And they are using very specific shades of red and green. And that's um, there's an old myth that Coca-Cola more or less invented Santa Claus. It's not true, but they absolutely helped to popularize the common vision that we all have of Santa Claus today. Now you mentioned Santa Claus and we have to, on a Christmas podcast episode, explain where Santa Claus came from. Yeah, well, um, he originated from St. Nicholas, who was a real guy from the 4th century in what's now Turkey. It was called Myra back then. And after he died, he became this sort of all-purpose patron saint. And he was the patron saint of brewers, of pawnbrokers. And there were all kinds of legends of him um, being able to bring people back from the dead. There's this really gruesome myth about how these three travelers went to an inn and the innkeeper uh, killed and dismembered their bodies. And that St. Nicholas stayed at that same inn was, and was able to resurrect and, and uh, reanimate their bodies and all of that. And so there's a lot of mythology about St. Nicholas that we don't keep today, of course, but that's really the basis for Santa Claus. Now, what happened was, I guess starting around the Victorian period or slightly before, he starts to take on some of these elfin witch-like characteristics that you find of Northern European folk myths. See, Christmas is kind of like a snowball insofar as as it moves, it not only gets bigger, but also picks up little pieces of everything that's in its path. So Santa Claus had these characteristics of um, characters that children might meet in a folk myth who might ask them some questions, and if they're good, they'll be rewarded, and if they're bad, they'll be punished. And starting in around the 1870s, we start to see the image of Santa that we know today coming into its own, largely from Thomas Nast, who was doing illustrations in Harper's Magazine. If you look at some of those illustrations from the 1870s from uh, Thomas Nast, etc., he's really small. He's small and squat. He has pointy ears sometimes. Uh, even in the poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, he's in a miniature sleigh with eight tiny reindeers. He goes down the chimney because he's an elf. He's small. The notion of Santa Claus as just like a regular guy, a six-foot grandfatherly figure, again, really comes from about the 1930s. The artist Haddon Sunblom, who was working for Coca-Cola, created that Santa Claus that we all know and love today, which is interesting when you think about it, because that means that there are people alive today who are actually older than our current vision of Santa Claus. So I'm sure all our younger listeners would love to know who we have to thank for the Christmas tradition of exchanging presents and gifts. Well, gifts have always been part of these kinds of wintertime celebrations and Christmas too, but it wasn't until Christmas became a major cultural holiday that that sort of uh, started up. So again, Christmas has always been a holiday, but for a long, long time, really only until about 150 years ago, it was one of those minor days on the church calendar. It did not really get a lot of play, and it certainly wasn't a big cultural celebration. 
When the Victorians took over and domesticated it, this was also happening right around the time of the Industrial Revolution. There were a lot of industrialism and commerce going on, a lot of goods being produced in factories and shipped long distances. And it was also a time where you started to notice the rise of the middle class. In a lot of ways, the Victorian Christmas was a celebration of the middle class lifestyle. And again, we have the media to thank because they were showing how the royals were celebrating their Christmases. And you have this new class of people who had a lot more money and wanted to emulate the royals. So a lot of the traditions that we have today are really the result of people trying to do like the royals were doing, including having a Christmas tree. That was something that... Um, Prince Albert brought from his native Germany, a popular magazine of the time, wrote, did a big write-up about it, and then it instantly became a big fad. And those weren't even popular here in America until around the 1870s. But it was around that time that Christmas became a major gift-giving holiday, where it was primarily based around the idea of shopping and giving. So interesting that we have the Industrial Revolution to thank for Christmas, and that so much of this came from the Victorian era. Most of what we celebrate today is influenced very, very heavily by the Victorians. Thanks, Brian. We ran out of time this week, but we are going to continue my conversation with Brian Earle next week, where we will get into questions like why so many Christmas songs are from the 1940s and 50s, and how it came to be that Norad tracks Santa on his journey around the world. As always, thank you to the community at r slash 5 and we will see you all next week.